but editing is for me it's like translating you know if you're translating from icelandic to english or vice versa you can't always use the same sentences the same is with taking a script it's first translated by everyone on set everyone is translating that story through their craft all of this lands on my table and then you have to translate all of this into a movie Hello and welcome to another episode of Cut to Reveal, the podcast where we talk about the editing art form and all the hurdles of that career path. I'm Ricky, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Peter. Hey, hey, everyone. So before we introduce our today's guest, I want to briefly talk about today's episode sponsor, which is Riverside. Uh, We used to use Zoom for recording these podcasts. But now we use Riverside and like there are many, many reasons why we switched. Yeah, I think the best thing about Riverside is that the quality is way better than Zoom because Zoom is what you see is what you get. Um, and if you're lagging with the Internet and any of that stuff, that is what you get. So it gets all crappy. Whereas with Riverside, it basically records it locally and then uploads it. So it's consistent. So even if it looks like crap while you're recording it the file that you're going to get is going to be of superior quality. It's going to be consistent and it's going to look good. And it's also going to sound good. Um, Working on other projects for paid clients, I've done the Zoom thing where what you see is what you get. And it's a nightmare to edit with. But with Riverside and when we do to this podcast, it's way better. It's way more consistent and it's head and shoulders above Zoom. Yeah, basically you get the quality of your webcam. And people don't have to, we don't have to record uh, audio locally anymore as well because it records uncompressed wave. Uh, so what you hear right now is recorded with Riverside, uh, not with, you know, mm-hmm. Audition. That's the way we actually used to do it for the first episodes before we, st- we switched. Uh, so yeah, uh, Riverside replaces Zoom for us with all the other features that it has. Like, you know, there are four roles, host, guest, audience member and a producer, which is someone that can adjust setting throughout uh, the recording, but is not being recorded himself. And the producer role is something that I use to record the podcast for my clients as well. I switched to Riverside uh, for editing chef live sessions as well. Yeah, it replaces Zoom completely. And now it's time to introduce our guest, our today's guest. So Ricky, they want to do the honor. Today we talk with Elizabeth Ronald's daughter, editor of such films as John Wick, Deadpool 2, Atomic Blonde, Kate, and most recently, probably one of the biggest blockbusters of the summer, (laughs) Bullet Train with Brad Pitt. Um, We got to talk to her about so many awesome things. She was really, really amazing. I mean, you know, she's edited over 50 titles and she still loves being an editor, which, I mean, as an editor, that's like a dream job for us anyway. So it doesn't, no surprise there, but... um, yeah, it was just fantastic. So I'm going to stop blubbering over this and we're just going to get into it. So let's roll the tape. I would love to hear how you knew you want to be an editor. Do you have like a, like a specific moment recall? I didn't know I wanted to be an editor. Very few people know they want to be editors. Yeah. Because what you see is, you know, the directors, cinema photographies, even sound, all those positions are so visible. And then we're in the dark and you kind of have to grow into it. So I went to film school. I went to London Film School and I was absolutely set on becoming a cinema photographer. 
and then just through both through the school and after, when I went out working in the business afterwards, I just landed in the editing suite and I loved it. Still love it. Mm-hmm. And even I go and visit set sometimes, or and sometimes you're on set editing, which is not often, but it happens. And but then sometimes you go visit. After a day, I'm like, I don't miss it. <laughs> I just want to go back to my editing suite. And, Nice and quiet with a cup of tea and think about story and, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's more like editing found me. Mm. And I'm very grateful for it. I I absolutely feel like I'm in the right place. And I still enjoy it. I've edited over 50 feature films, documentary and animation. It's a lot of titles. Yeah. I'm so grateful that still today I enjoy it. Amazing. Speaking about storytelling, like, you know, there is a perception in, even in in the industry, I think, that like editors do not really like provide insights into story. And like, you know, you can even tell about like, you know, the the, the way they approached the Oscars this year, right? Uh, By neglecting us in the, you know, in the live stream, right? So my question to you is like, what are some of the situations you recall that like where, where you had to lead the story and like, you know, help the director to find the story? Yeah, well, you, they know the story when they go shooting. But editing is, for me, it's like translating. You know, if you're translating from Icelandic to English or vice versa, you can't always use the same sentences. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't have the words that we have for snow. Like, how am I going to translate that? How am I going to, you know, the same as with taking a script. It's first translated by everyone on set. It's the cinema photography, uh, costumes, makeup, hair. Everyone is translating that story through their craft. All of this lands on my table. Obviously, everything under the supervision of the director and the, and the producer, studio, who knows what. And then you have to translate all of this into a movie. I read the script maybe three, four times before we start shooting. Once I get the material, I'm not reading the script. I have to look at, I know the script. This is what I have. How can I, how can I translate mm-hmm. what I read into the moving images, you know, yeah. telling the same story? Yeah. But how can I translate it? And yeah, obviously, that's my craft. That's why I'm hired. And when people are like, why, what do they do? I just want to just, you know, go check what really good editors get paid. And I can promise you, it's not for pushing buttons. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You can get that, you can get that cheaper. So, yeah, I, uh, I've seen uh, some Mandes uh, talking about uh, Lee Smith, who edited 1917. And, you know, it's a one-take film, right? But some Mandes, like, he he said, like, that one of his best collaborators that contributed to the way the film looks was actually the editor, Lee Smith. And, you know, and people, a lot of people were like, come on, it's one-take short. But no, they, they, they have no idea about, like, how many decisions... Um, go into like you know designing that one one take shot like one take movie yeah. into being like an experience um, that absolutely. people absolutely yeah. but the thing is for me it's not important like I decided this I made this decision this is me 
because it's not. It's a collaboration. So many people affect the way you think. I mean, my thoughts can be affected by how someone's hair is laid, how the set design looks like. You know, I never know who got that idea. Was it me? Was it you? Did you say something? Sometimes I use it. I go, remember (laughs) what you said? I fixed it. Look, because I want to sell something that I know they're going to be like, what? And I go, huh, did I say that? Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm joking. I'm joking. But, you know, we, we do affect each other. And this, for me, is the essence of filmmaking. And I love it. The collaboration between departments, everyone coming together, telling the same story. It's the journey. That's why I'm still here after such a long time. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's a yeah. beautiful journey every single time. I know what you mean. Yeah, I, you know, I, as I said, my, mm. my narrative editing experience is limited, but like the same aspect that I love the most is just the collaboration with, with the director. Like, you know, the... Uh, all of the short films I edited, I edited so far involved like hours of just discussing the scenes, you know, and like th- for me, that's the best part, even though, you know, uh, you would expect that a short film could be edited probably like, you know, f- a few days. Right. But no, we've spent like yeah. a lot of time just discussing about the scenes. And that, that, for me, that's the most and rewarding again thing. And again, and like experimenting, let's try it. What do we turn everything upside down or, you know, yeah. it's, it's a great journey, exploring yeah. the, the art of storytelling through images. I love it. Yeah. And I think it's important. Yes, I'm lucky. I'm doing big movies. I'm extremely grateful because it allows me to enjoy my work, <laughs> you know, of course. in a way I didn't imagine before. But I think it's important. I'm not here. I didn't walk into a big movie. I've done everything you're talking about, all the short films, the corporate stuff, the commercials, the, you know, you go through it, but you have to remember every single situation gives you tools to learn from and to carry into the next project. And so always do your best, you know, don't go like, oh, it's just a bit, just do your best. <laughs> yeah. Even if it feels like it's small, mm. but it's never small. You can, you can make it more. Yeah, That's yeah. the beauty of editing as well. You can make it more. Step by step, yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you about, like, challenges of cutting action. Because, like, um, for me, I, I kind of, like, see two two ways that most of the of, of the, edit, the action scenes are edited. Like, the first one is, for me, best described in Jason Bourne way, where you have, like, very, very, you know, very fast cutting action, uh, where you, you know, Two, two characters are about to exchange like a few punches and you have like five cuts in between, right? Uh, like, you know, average shot duration is probably below two seconds. And the other one is actually what, uh, you know, David Leach is doing, right? Where, where you are trying yeah. to, to, to include as many action in one shot as, as possible. And in, for example, uh, in Atomic Blonde, you kind of have like both of these scenes where you have scenes that are very fast paced and you have scenes that are like, you know, you can tell that they are choreographed in a very, very deliberate way. So, like, what is the difference for you uh, when editing, you know, both these types of action scenes? Like, what are the challenges that, that like, are specific for one or the other? There's no... The, the director decides on the, the style, really. 
yeah. because they are the ones to, to they do what they want and they go and shoot it. But I think it's important to know that even something like fast-paced porn, it's choreographed. You know what I mean? It's choreographed. And then Chad Stahlski and David Leach with 87 North, 8711, sorry, now 87 North, they taught us the importance of training. So now it's more and more use happening that actors are extremely well-trained so they can do those long takes. Because, I mean, you still see it sometimes where actors have no training and then they bring in the stunts and then there's a close-up of the actor like mm-hmm. doing ah, yeah. close-up, you know. Yeah. And that's, you can say that's one style, but it's also cheap. So working with people that understand the necessity of training vigorously. I mean, uh, John Wick, Atomic Blonde, the amount of training those actors went through was amazing mm-hmm. and then it's then you can do more like during the, the principal photography you don't have to throw in a stuntman every single time of course there are stunt people and i love stunt people that are amazing also even if the actor is really well trained it's also uh insurance questions you know sure you can take uh, Charlie's Theron and throw her off a balcony because <laughs> insurance. The whole production would shut down, you know, Yeah. if anything happens. So, so I feel blessed working with those highly professional stunt people that know how to shoot it, where is the camera, how do we catch it. But then again, I also have a background in dance. So oh. I understand choreography. Mm-hmm. And for me, this is like the, the alpha male dance. Action mm-hmm. is an alpha male dance. So it's the same choreography. Everything is choreographed and decided by by the team. Because of the choreography shots and these scenes, are you brought in within production rather than just getting all the footage in post-production? Like- usually, usually I just get all the footage, but there are scenes, for example, in Atomic Blonde, that, which is a testament to David Leach and how for me, he's so fresh into this because kind of the film auteur is fading away with the patriarch, but he comes in and has just this immense understanding of storytelling. He is so knowledgeable about film history. He has the same idea as I do. It's all about cooperation. And he's a clever one because everyone is willing to do what it takes for David Leach. People will sacrifice themselves, me included, like, because he's just so, he, he fires you up. He's inspiring mm-hmm. and he is collaborative and extremely, extremely tolerant to bad ideas. So, you know what I mean? Which is, oh, yeah. which is the, which is the, the, you know, it's the only thing that can bring a good idea is a bad idea. <laughs> so I really enjoy working with him. And, and I think that scene in Atomic Blonde is a testament to his craft as a director, mm-hmm. how he brought every single department in. Like they had to get more and more worn down. So makeup and hair and, and costumes were all over it, you know? Yeah. And uh, and then edit and uh, visual effects. We were there as well, just to make sure all the stitches would work because it's like a 14 minute scene. 
one of the more fun things I've done. We talk a lot about the uh, the importance of the director-editor relationship. Can you talk? And you kind of mentioned it right now when talking with David about um, how awesome it is. But how do you? I guess how did you cultivate that relationship? And then even beyond David, um, how? Well, I guess it's the same question. How do you cultivate a good relationship with the director so that you guys can collaborate easily? So, uh, if I understand the question right, so it's how do you collaborate with a director? How how do you establish a relationship? Yeah, how we cultivate the, the, this relationship, yeah. The essence of establishing a relationship with director is honesty for me. Mm-hmm. I I don't lie, you know. I'm I'm not there to lie. I'm there to protect my director and do what I can to make him look good. Which for example, in David Leitz, it's not necessary because he just makes us look good. But I'm still there. I'm still there. <laughs> but I'm still there to pro- protect the movie, his movie or hers, if it's a, a seat director. But I think honesty is the key because honesty is also being able to talk about things that don't work, which is a, a very important part of my job and our jobs to be able to talk about what's not working and yeah. why it's not working. Yeah. And I, someone told this to me, I can't remember who, I think it was an actor many, many, we are talking like 30 years ago. And he said, I don't want to be the person that sits in the, the premiere party and says, I knew it, you know, when the movie mm-hmm. fails. <laughs> like, I knew it. So don't be that person. If you think something isn't working, you have to be able to point it out. Yeah. And that's not being negative. You can find positive ways to approach it, but you have to approach it because you're mm-hmm. there to fix it. It's your job. So I think honesty is the key for any relationship. It's like life. It doesn't matter. And fight, it's okay to fight for our things, you know. They appreciate if you fight for things in the movie as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you're not a yes-man, yeah, that's the way I, I, I like to call it. Like, yeah. the directors don't, don't yeah. want the yes-man in the, the, the editing room, right? They want someone who will not, like, protect their ideas, who will not be, like, egocentric, but who will speak up their mind. Exactly. I think it's a horrible curse to be surrounded by yes people. Yeah. Because, again, filmmaking is about collaboration, but also pushing. I need to be pushed. If I do something and people come in and say, oh, that's great, we're done. (laughs) I would just get so nervous. Because we also have to know that, like, there are so many ways to go into a scene and decide on it. And not scene, really. Scenes are easy. Scenes are relatively very easy. It's when you have the whole, because you have to build the whole movie. And there can be so many ways to go with that, like both pace, story, arc, you know, performances. So I want to be pushed and I need to push my director. That's my role, push. Yeah. But I also need to push. Everyone needs to be pushed. And if you don't get that push, it's going to fall flat. I wanted to ask you about like, how do you approach editing dailies? Because like, uh, I, I know that some, you know, some editors have very specific ways they, they watch dailies and then construct scenes from it, right? For example, Tom Cross, uh, who works with Damien Chazelle a lot, right? He, he says that he, yeah. he, he, he knows the way Damien, Damien works 
And because of it, he can actually watch dailies from the last take and start constructing, you know, from usually from one of the like two or three last takes, you, he can construct the whole scene. And that's the way he usually does it when they are like under, you know, time pressure. So I wonder like, yeah. what is your approach to watching dailies and then constructing your first rough cut of the scene? Uh, I would do the same as him. I construct the scene with the last takes, just like, because I need to get in my mind, like, what am I looking for watching mm -hmm. the, the dailies? Yeah. So I will throw it together and then I will watch everything. I mean, even though I know my director, usually I've worked, I have a long time relationship with several directors, but I always watch all the takes because also if you run into trouble and you need something, you can go, oh, I remember That's we true. have him silent in this frame or something, you know, you yeah. just. So I just need to have that control of knowing my dailies. But uh, I think it's extremely personal how you approach dailies for everyone. No one has the same idea, and that's fine. That's okay. But uh, I'm also very impatient. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, let's do it. And then, <laughs> but I will watch them or everything. But yeah, I get super excited. Oh, I'm like, love it, wonderful. <laughs> But yeah, but I also love experimenting. So even if no one asks me, I sometimes try like to turn stuff around to start mm. at the end, you know, to just play around because I think that's just such a glorious way to play with the material. And yeah. I think the material deserves that you experiment with it. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. Because there's so many, there's so much hard work be behind that. And you might be cutting out people's blood, sweat, and tears. So you better, you better milk that material so they all shine, you know. Yeah. Uh, for, for Bullet Train, have you, have you edited it remotely? Because I don't know, do you, do you live in the U.S. right now? Or do, 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 you, do you live in Iceland? I've never lived in the U.S., um, but I've stayed there for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. But obviously COVID changed everything. And I was actually, because of COVID, stuck in Australia for a year. And we were doing Shang-Chi, Marvel's Shang-Chi. And uh, uh, Evan Schiff was gracious and held the fort during principal photography on bullet train. And then uh, I arrived mid-February, two or three weeks left of principal photography, and uh, took over. Had It was pretty hectic because I had to go through every single scene, like look at all the dailies and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, But it was worth it because uh, it's been a while since I worked with David because of just logistics. So we were <laughs> yeah. super excited to come together again. <laughs> yeah. The studio was closed in uh, uh, LA. Everything was closed. And so I was like, oh, everyone works from home. And I was like, hey, home is Iceland. <laughs> So in the end, I just took a drive. And they just said, yeah, whatever, go. <laughs> Everyone just gave up for it. Like So I actually traveled with a hard drive of bullet trains between countries. So I was partly in Iceland until like June, July, working remotely. And then we wanted to go and work together, me and David, like in the same time zone, same place. Mm -hmm. And the studio opened. But we were allowed to be in the same room. <laughs> it was 
So mm-hmm. that must have worked, is it? Mm-hmm. So in the end, we rented a house in LA and just lived there and edited, edited during the day and made popcorn and watched movies at night. Wow. It was wow. a great setup. This is, yeah, that Thankfully, sounds amazing. We know it. Sounds yeah. like a dream, dream, dream. For me, David's wife, who is uh, the producer of Bullet Train. Ah. So we actually had such a great time. Oh, it was the perfect setup. It, it sounds like a, yeah, like, mm. a, like a dream come true. <laughs> yeah, David and Kelly yeah. are great people to live with. I recommend it to <laughs> 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 they, They're just amazing. It was, uh, and it was such a good setup. So we would come nightly and it was just like popcorn, movies, TV shows. We watched everything. It was so much fun. You talking about working in the day and then eating popcorn and watching movies at night. Um, you know, I think that kind of the bane, or at least maybe not the bane, but being a freelance editor, we, well, at least for, I'll speak for my opinion, like I work so much, like in the regards yeah. to like, wake up, sit down, then maybe I go to bed and that's like the end of my day. So how is it that you were you maybe, I don't want to maybe stuck in that rut. And then at a certain time you're like, I'm not going to work. 12, 15 hour days anymore. I'm just going to do eight and I know what I can get done. And then I'm going to sit down, relax, and then I'll wake up and do, you know, a normal hour and then commit yourself to just working five days a week and, you know, having a life work balance that's much better. No, it's essential. And I sometimes tell people, like, how are you going to be creative if you don't have a life? Because that's where creativity, yeah. you know, it sprungs from. So get experiences, live your life. I'm a workaholic, I truly am. But I did pay a, 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 a huge price for it. Uh, I got really sick with stage four cancer and it was mayhem. I got over it, it's gone, I'm fine. But it also just tells you your body isn't, you're not a superhero, you will have to pay. Yeah. So take good care, do take good care, do the rest. The problem mm. is still going to be there in the morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I'm just so you know, they make all kinds of, they, they've looked a lot at this in Europe and they found out 10 hour or five hour workday. It's the same productivity. Yeah. The thing is that people, people treat creativity as something there that exists and that you can use all the time. But in reality, creativity is more like a resource that you have to like, you know, you, you have to collect, you have to have time to regrow that resource before you can reuse it. Yeah. Right. And I think yeah. like that's, that's for me, like, like a mindset uh, model that I try to use when, when thinking about like, you know, working on my work-life balance. Like when you're taking a break, you're really like, working on getting that resource back, creativity back in your, like, the well of creativity, so to speak, or whatever, right? Yeah, and you just have to rest your brain. It's the old story of doing the dishes when the ideas come to you. Yeah. You have to rest your brain. If you're struggling with a problem, take a walk. Yeah. Seriously, take a walk around the block. Yeah. I I wanted to ask you about um, negotiating rates because I don't know how it works. Like, for me, as a freelancer... Uh, you know, I always negotiate the rates with my client. Usually, from in my case, it's a daily rate. Um, so I wonder how it works for for high end project like the one the ones you work on. 
do you have like a weekly rate? Do you have like a project-based rate? Or how does it work for union productions? Do you negotiate your rate? If you do, how do you approach it? I don't. I I do pay an agent to do it. Mm-hmm. And I, that, for me, that's very important because I'm like, I do it. You don't have to pay me. I'll do it. For Belgium, yes, you don't have to pay me. I I would be completely run over. So I'm extremely grateful for my uh, agent, Jason. Yeah. He takes care of that. And also, so it's a good thing that you are not fighting for race with the people you work with, with your director or with your producer. It's good that. That's, that's not your thing. Yeah, that's a good so point. So we never discuss money. That's a good but, point. But uh, before, yeah. I didn't get, I was 50 years old when I got an agent. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This was going to be my next question. Like, w- w- when do you think, like, an editor should think about getting an, an agent? Uh, because, like, for me, it's definitely too early. But, so my question is, when is the right moment? Again, not an expert, because I do come a bit sideways into the business in America, being born and raised in Iceland, working here. I mean, I just went straight into working feature films in Iceland yeah. because we're 300,000. But I did some I did some uh, feature films that did really well. And I did a, a movie called Reykjavik Rottetan, directed by Oscar Jonasson. And it was remade in the States. And I was asked to edit it, Contraband. Mm. So when I did Contraband, uh, I met with uh, a fellow editor, Doty Dern, and we got talking, and she introduced me to her agent. I didn't know what the F that was about, you know. I I was like, didn't even really understand the role of uh, an agent. Mm-hmm. So I went to meet them, and it was kind of, if you want to, we want to. But then I didn't hear from them for a whole year. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a tricky relationship in the sense that you kind of have to bring the projects. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, You're, they, they are not like, actively working on... It's like, yeah. But I have to say, Holly Jeter, who is an agent of William Morrison at the time, she came with uh, John Wick. When I thought I would never come back to America, she brought John Wick and asked me if I was interested. And I was. So that's how it kind of started rolling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it took okay. a year. Okay. Nothing. Yeah. And then suddenly, like, would you want to do John Wick? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, okay. I've heard it's similar when you're, like, publishing a book. And, like, if you go, like, a traditional route and you have, like, a publisher usually they are not really like doing anything to get eyes on on your book. Like you have to do the work, you have to do the legwork to, if you want to have people actually getting. I, I truly appreciate my agency and my agent yeah. because they do take good care of you in the sense that they, if anything goes wrong, mm-hmm. I worked on a project that kind of just collapsed and like woke up to like 300 missed calls from, <laughs> you know, lawyers at the agency and and they actually got it took a year but they did get my money Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i'm like well then it's worth it yeah yeah that's worth it that's a that's a good testament to them yeah yeah it's a shock world out there it Mm -hmm. is that not that 
everyone I meet is the nicest person on earth. That's not the problem. But it's a hardcore business. Yeah. So even just like how do you negotiate your credit? Mm-hmm. It's like science that I don't know about. <laughs> I don't recognize it. We need those type of people to like keep us the creatives being creative so they don't have to worry about all the back end legal jargon and whatever black mysterious science that we don't know about. Yeah, which is kind of like uh, normal stuff, but I just, I think they are actually very creative in their own, you know, own oh, for sure. way. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I, I enjoy working with them. I truly do. And I think, I've, but when do you get an agent? If you go in and believe that you don't have to put down the work, you're just going to go get an agent and everything's going to be upwards, you're going to get disappointed. Because it's always about the hard work. And you're always judged by your latest contribution. <laughs> so if you fail, you kind of have to crawl back up. But I think it's just hard work, hard work, hard work. I also think it's important for people who want to go into feature to find their directors, find someone you believe in mm-hmm. and do their movies. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. believing that they, because you, you will also get there working for someone who makes it because you are a big, you, you are a big part of their success anyway. You know, I have someone like that. I have That's like, uh, I have a director that, I would like really love to work with one day. Uh, I don't know if you've seen any of his movies, but his name is Jim Cummings. He made three films, uh, the most recent one being The Beta Test. Uh, There is also uh, The Wolf of Snow Hollow and uh, Thunder Road, which was his first feature that he actually uh, created based on a short film that won uh, Sundance Festival. Thunder Road, I know. Yeah. yeah. But it's good. Go, grab him. Nothing nasty. Don't get arrested. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> but you know, try to establish connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's actually a great guy. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, were you always into action movies? Are you still like, are you enjoying like action movies while, you, while, you're, while you're not working? Like, Yes, I do. I do love, and I've always loved action movies. Mm-hmm. And probably always will. Uh, I do. I do love Again, I, I guess it also comes into the dancing. Um, I think just choreography. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what David and Chad did with uh, John Wick and David, along with uh, Atomic Blonde, bring in those tall people. Mm-hmm. It's just every single movement gets this. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, a completely yeah. different dance because uh, both actors and dancers tend to be a bit smaller. So it was kind of so beautiful, bringing just all the movements get longer and it's beautiful. So, yeah, I enjoy it. But I do, it does annoy me that people are pigeonholed because an editor is an editor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you can edit whatever and then you get pigeonholed. I'm actually pretty happy. Just pigeonhole me. I'm fine because I'm in a pigeonhole that I kind of like doing and I'm happy about it. You're fine. Be, be, yeah, yeah, I get so it. I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. I'll take it. But, uh, but I think uh, editors can do whatever. And I do. But like in Iceland, I do a lot of very independent uh, small movies, art movies. 
and I love doing it. It's also very grounding. It grounds you as well to do them. <laughs> yeah. But it also keeps my sensibilities intact, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I do love working from home as well. Mm-hmm. But it's also funny because then the production or someone comes to me, oh, yeah, let's get a European editor. And then you show them something and they go, oh, that's too European. <laughs> so you have to change it <laughs> again. <laughs> Let me ask you about uh, bullet train. Actually, Ricky, I, th- I think you were interested in like uh, the aspect of, you know, editing uh, with a lot of characters in the movie, right? Yeah, without getting too, I mean, just based off of seeing the trailer, you can tell that there are a lot of characters within that film, a lot of really awesome characters. And I had read the book also, which is why I got really excited about seeing the movie. I feel like based on kind of the other movies that you had worked on, maybe in in regards to like action films, like this maybe has the most amount of like characters like going on at once that where the subplots all kind of maybe converge. Yeah. yeah. So how is it, I mean, maybe in general, this is just a general question. How do you as an editor tackle that type of intricacy or um, complexity in a story and putting it all together on the line and, and whatever without, you know, making it like, okay, we're just getting the two main characters then, but then we have all these other people that are also like not scrimping on other people's um, subplots or, or whatever, just in general. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of work, a lot of copy. But <laughs> the beauty is that you have so many strong characters. It's just not characters. It's like heavy, hitting, strong characters. Mm-hmm. So the trick, well, it was kind of tricky to balance it so they could all shine mm-hmm. without casting shadow, if that makes sense. Yeah. I wish I could go more into it, but uh, there's not an embargo on it, but it's just I don't want to spoil anything. I get it. I get so, it. Be, be general. Kind of tricky because you haven't seen it, but yes, it was just bringing everyone together and not only characters, but they all have their specific story, backstory. So weaving that together, how to make it, like, when are we bringing this character in? When are we bringing this backstory in? We made it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of restructuring during the editing. There was, yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not because the script was wrong. Yeah. It's just the translation, translation. called yeah. for a different thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because you've read the book, you can see it's like chapters where you get introduced to each character. And we felt very, very early on it wasn't working. And what happened when I started to interview it so they would meet them, like they would meet more organically, yeah. where we introduced them, the sense of fate got so much stronger. <laughs> like the sense of fate, you know. When, so that was really amazing. So excited for this movie. I just got goosebumps thinking about it. I hope we will not disappoint. That's all yeah. I can say. I hope we will not. Uh, I, I, I only seen the trailer. I haven't read the book. But yeah, but uh, man, like it, it looks like Brad Pitt did like some amazing performance there. He is there. so amazing. <laughs> I think you're going to see a Brad you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was getting the vibe of like once upon a time in America from, from him a little bit, but then like mixed with some kind of like crazy comedy <laughs> thing as well. So Yeah, he is crazy. But there are so many great actors in this movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Joey King is one. He's actually my favorite. 
she's the bad guy, but still, I like her. We always ask about recommending something that inspires you to, to, to the listeners. So do you have like, I don't know, it can be a book, it can be a TV show, it can be a feature film, it can be, I don't know, um, a, a, an opera or anything, something that inspires you and you would like to share with others? I think Russian cinema really affected me. Mm-hmm. Films like Come and See and like with just those hugely emotional big movies, they really, they were my favorite thing. And I think I saw all all of Russian movies ever make. They they had an amazing film industry. But also, I remember when I saw Blade Runner for mm-hmm. the first time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think young people don't understand that nothing like it had ever... That's mm-hmm. when I decided to become a cinema photographer mm-hmm. because just the look of that movie was so mind-blowing. I remember walking out of the cinema stunned. Before that, I hadn't even considered working in movies or films or TV or anything. We had never seen anything like it. It was a game changer. It really was. Is there anything else that you would like to share with us or with the listeners? And then, like, uh, you know, what's next for you? Do you have, like, some, something that's just around the corner that you can share with, with, with us? I think the most important thing, the only advice I can give is have fun, be brave, and take good care of yourself. I think mm-hmm. this is the, the essence of it. Because if you're, it's not a fear factory. We're making movies, you know. Mm-hmm. So you can't be afraid. Mm-hmm. You can be respectful and you can be humble, but you can't be afraid. Respect is always a good, good thing, mm-hmm. but don't be afraid. And you have to have fun because if you're not having fun doing it, how can you expect anyone to go to buy a ticket to it? You know, you yeah. have to have fun. Yeah. So that's important. And take good care of yourself because. Yeah. Life is short. Don't burn up yeah. life is short and okay. it, it's just it's not worth that yeah. it's not and and hello you can do it without killing yourself I'm just saying it's, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 there shouldn't be like that yeah 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 I totally get it and also like you, once you put limit uh, limits for how long you work and so on Like, people will respect that. Like, I think, like, people, a lot of Absolutely. people are afraid that if they if they don't edit, like, 14 hours a day, they will get fired or, and I don't know, or someone will think badly about them. But actually, the contrary is true. Yeah, but haven't, I think it's already been calculated. You edit no more than a minute a day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That's what you do. It's a minute yeah. a day, people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We can That's do it, it without works. losing sleep. Love it, Elizabeth. Like we are so grateful that you, you know, joined the show. Uh, oh, I, I'm so happy, happy to meet you. I wish you all the best. Thank you. And that's it. Uh, I think my favorite part mm-hmm. was the one about editor being a translator. Yeah. That's something that I have been thinking for a long time. You know, some people think that if you have a great director, a great script, a great cinematographer, mm-hmm. you know, it's quite easy and almost anyone could, you know, could could edit that movie, right? 
Uh, but you know that's not the reason why a director is choosing an editor. He he is looking for a translator for his film that will be able to translate his vision to to the audience, right? And that's not that's not as easy as as it seems from the outside. Uh, it's about making choices sometimes that are like counterintuitive, like you know uh, deciding that a great performance doesn't fit in the story, for example. Something like that yeah. is, is something that the translator can see. Like you know the the, mm-hmm. the the impact of how people are gonna read that aspect of the film, right? On the in, right. in the macro image, and yeah, she the, her explanation of that aspect was wonderful. I loved it. It's gonna stay with me for a long time. Yeah, and I, I like the uh, that little detail about how once she starts editing, she barely or rarely refers back to the script. Like she's more concerned about okay, I've got this footage. Mm-hmm. How am I translating this story now with these images? Yeah. Um, which I thought was really interesting. It's very encouraging to hear when these larger, uh, I don't know, I want to say big time editors come in and they're like, you know, we did the same things that you did. We worked on the corporate stuff. We worked on the short films. We worked on pretty, pretty much everything that you did to, until, you know, we got our big break or we were, you know, somebody yeah. took a chance on us and the door opened up and we got in. Uh, so that's always super encouraging to hear. It just, you know, makes me more excited um, as I work my way along this editing path as overdramatic as that sounds. But yeah, there was a lot of great things that Elizabeth said. And, um, you know, it was awesome. And I think that there was another thing that she said too that I thought was also encouraging was, which, you know, we've talked about on this podcast was that like every situation you're in, in regards to like a project or whatever, Mm. always has value. And that no matter what it is, it's giving you tools that you can work, that you can use in the next project. Um, So that's also super encouraging to hear other you know, well-known editors saying the same thing that we are also saying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but exactly. Anyway, um, so that's our episode for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Thank you, Elizabeth, for joining us for this wonderful conversation. Thank you to our sponsor, Riverside. If you want to replace Zoom with something better, just go to cutatepoint.com forward slash Riverside, and there will be a discount connected to this link. So, yeah. Uh, next time, there will be another great name, from the industry or there will be just us and probably it's just gonna be us okay (laughs) thank you bye bye next time thank you for taking time out of your busy day if you like what you've heard please rate review or subscribe on whatever platform you've listened to this on Your reviews help other editors to discover the show and tell your friends. Also, if you have any questions or comments, leave us a message at SpeakPipe. There's a link in the description or email us at podcast at cuttothepoint.com. 